On this episode of Reliterated, a storm brews over a small town as it is visited by a traveling carnival with dark and twisted motives. And the only way to escape is to embrace its darkness. Actually, quite literally. You'll see what I mean when you listen to this week's episode on the Ray Bradbury novel, Something Wicked This Way Comes, on Reliterated, the podcast that will tell you which houses are giving out full-size candy bars this Halloween. Welcome to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of three grown-ass men reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020's hindsight. Fair warning, we use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. We also talk about our books in depth, and that includes spoilers. So before you listen, if you're not familiar with the story, prepare to be spoiled. And it's Pledge Week here on NPR, so you can pledge your support by calling our toll-free number and get yourself a tote bag full of sweaty balls. <laughs> that was a good intro, right? That was a good that opening. Was a, that was a good opening. That was a good All opening. Right. I thought we were going to keep going. You were going to be like, my name's Andy. and That's a good idea. My name's Andy. My name is Harold. And I'm Josh. And you're listening to The Light FM. <laughs> The Light FM, where we talk lightly and something, something, something. And for the second session in a row, I know my audio won't be as good because I'm using an Xbox headset mic. Yes, Harold's normal mic has been out of commission for the past couple of episodes, and we're still waiting on him to to get fucking fixed. Uh, I need the part. I will fix it when the part <laughs> comes with a soldering iron in my own sweat and blood. You need, you need the sweat and blood to lubricate the solder. Well, you need some kind of body parts to uh, to Frankenstein that thing back together again, <laughs> which is appropriate during spooky month. Yay! We're keeping this spooky train a-rolling with Ray Bradbury's classic Something Wicked This Way Comes this week. Yes, classic, classic book. I've read this multiple times when I was a child. This is probably the first time I've read it since I was in my teens. So it was a great refresher, and I I remembered a lot of the different points and everything like that. But some stuff I for I forgot about. Other stuff was it made a lot more sense to me at this age, you know. So yeah, like what kind of stuff did you forget about there? Oh, I forgot about. Uh, well, we'll get into it later. But I forgot about some of the uh people and what happens to them. Uh. And more so the reasons why it happened. Because, <laughs> you know, like everything from a narrative that you need for a for a story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do wanna I do I do wanna bring up this point because this book is very wordy. And I can now I can now understand I don't like him, but I can understand how people can enjoy Tolkien. Because this book, it's not very fast. There's a lot of words to it, what people might call filler. But <laughs> some people, but still, it was so enjoyable to read. For me, it's it was it's Bradbury's writing is poetic, and that is what I think draws me into it. That and his sense of his his usage of imagery and how he just uses so many different things to bring you into the story to make you a part of it. So mm, things things like metaphor and uh, symbolism. Mm-hmm. 
foreshadowing. Yeah. I think because it's not high fantasy, it's kind of more modern. It's it's definitely from a, a bygone era of uh, like carnivals coming to town and stuff like that. Well, it's from when America was great again. If it was from when America was great again, yes. <laughs> but there's there's no there's no other races like elves and hobbits and and dwarves. Well, well there just is one dwarves. Du- just the one dwarf <laughs> in this book. So, Josh, yeah, I'm glad that you actually said that you can understand why people like Tolkien because you are no longer allowed in my Tolkien bashing club. Because <laughs> oh, I'm still holy, bash it. <laughs> holy fuck, this book! Oh my god. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what it is about this style of writing. I am an avid reader. I can read well. I enjoy books. I have great comprehension of English language. Yet, when there are paragraphs of someone trying to describe a feeling, and it's like wrapped up to the point where I get to the bottom of the paragraph, and I'm like, wait a second, what the fuck were they talking about at the first part of this? Like, <laughs> they were describing the mirror maze again. Again, oh, geez, yeah, in that's, a different that's way. Right. That's what it was. I mean, like, holy shit. <laughs> How did shit. I know? How did I know that that was, the, that was yeah. what you were thinking of? And I mean, Andy and I had talked for a second, and it, it kind of is one of those things where it's like at this time when these books were written, this was that type of writing and using so much description. I don't know. It just this book could be half as thick and still tell the same story just as well, <laughs> but not with as interesting and uh, flowery language, which was you know interesting to read. It had its for, moments, but yeah, there there were moments, there were passages that I really clung to. But uh, yeah, by and large, used a lot of words to describe very simple things. Yes, which is what what poets do. Sure. But it reminds me of earlier, I saw some video where somebody was saying, oh, this is how you increase the word count on your essay. (laughs) And they were like, instead of saying because, say, the particular reason for this to happen or, you know, it's like, no, no, that's you need to be concise. That's why because exists, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Oh. But see, to me, there's a lot. To me, there's a lot of themes. There's more than just one set story. There is the main story, which is the carnival comes to town. But there's also the story of growing, growing two growing boys. There's the story of a of mm-hmm. a man who feels beyond his his age and wants wishes that he was younger, which ties him to the carnival. And same mm-hmm. with the the um one of the characters. She gets she actually ends up getting pulled into the carnival because of of that simple thing. So there's a lot of other things to this that you could take all that out and there still is that core story. But I don't think it's going to be as engaging for the reader to read. This is why some things are liked by some people and some things are are not. Like for me, it wasn't engaging at all. It was I had to force myself when reading it. Yeah. I think part of it with us is that we have to read by a certain time to uh to be ready to discuss it and this is a book to just kind of sit back and enjoy and uh get taken by the language and yeah. just kind of lose yourself in the in the narrative as you did in the days before video games. <laughs> when reading was a pastime. 
So I would probably suggest uh, this book to people who read as a pastime as opposed to, I don't know. Anything else. Anything else. <laughs> yeah, don't try to speed read it in a week like we did. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is not a book to be sped read. Yeah, speed take read, your time, go through it, enjoy the nuance. Or bed read because it it oh, might yeah. put you to sleep. Yes, no, it I is a very good bed read. Yeah, book. bed, bed read. <laughs> That's what we'll have to call the, these books: bed read. Ooh, yeah. bed reads. I absolutely, I would like sit down with it in the bed and turn, open it up, and I'm like, okay, just read this book, and I don't know, <laughs> get about four sentences in, and I'm like, oh god, I can't stay awake any longer. Well, the sentences do go on forever. Bradbury yeah. is known for you know extending those, and you got to mm-hmm. He does. He did admit that he used to get uh, paid by the word. So, <laughs> so maybe that came into play here. Uh, that it definitely so, did. <laughs> that, no, that definitely came into play here because there are some very simple things that he uses a lot of words to describe. Yeah. <laughs> so bring bring up Ray Bad Bradbury. Why oh, yes. don't uh, when we have Joshua read uh, some about uh, about <laughs> the author we, before well, we actually, actually get into what happens in this book. read or read tonight. <laughs> you read. Well, <laughs> tell us about the author, Josh. RD that to us. I've actually read his biography as well, so that, that helped that I read that. So, I know for a fact he doesn't, he never drove because he, he was, there was a horrible accident. That is one thing I remember from his life. But I'll just start from the beginning. So he was born in Waukegan, Illinois, uh, to a Swedish immigrant and an English, uh, and his dad was of English ancestry. They lived there during his early childhood and formative years, and his aunt would read him short stories when he was a kid. So that's where part of his love of reading came from. Uh, but a lot of his books take place in Greentown, Illinois, and that is based on 1920s Waukegan. I used to live near <laughs> Waukegan. It is a small town in northern Illinois, right across the border from Kenosha. Or so nice. Uh, yes. Eventually, they did settle in Los Angeles in 1934 when Bradbury was 14 years old. Uh, they did not have a lot of money. But luckily, his dad got a job making uh, pretty good wages at that time. Since Bradbury loved Hollywood and movies and things like that, he was very happy. He attended Los Angeles High School, and he was active in the drama club. And as I stated, he would often roller skid through Hollywoods in hopes of meeting celebrities. He included uh, meeting Ray Harryhausen and George Burns. I don't know if anybody even remembers George Burns. Yeah, he was the cigar guy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's well, what I know him that's as. That's what you remember the, him as. The yeah. old guy with a cigar. Yeah. So, yeah, he uh, he was an avid reader and writer, and he knew at a young age he was going to, quote, go into one of the arts, and he began writing his own stories at the age of 12. So that is where he got his start, and... Is that when he started uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes? Because it's the only way he could have <laughs> used so many fucking words. No, but I will tell you this about him that I do know. Uh, so Something Wicked This Way Comes was actually first started as a treatment for a film. And it just never got picked up. None of the studios picked it up. So he took it back and turned it into this story. And he called it the novelization. So at one point, it was a lot shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not. And eventually it did become a movie after the book became popular, huh? Yes. But he was active for... His first published story was dis- was in January 1938. 
and he wrote until the day he died, which was uh, June 5th, 2012. What was he writing that killed him? He was writing <laughs> He was writing the longest sentence ever for the Guinness Book of World Records, and three words before he made it, he passed. <laughs> Three words short of the record. Oh, he man. had he had over described an acorn. I think you're thinking of Tolkien's death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, actually, uh, very similar deaths. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, Bradbury is very famous for his science fiction. Uh, he wrote The Martian Chronicles. He wrote Fahrenheit 451. This story. Uh, some of his non-science fiction work, one is called Dandelion Wine. That's a coming-of-age story. It's very, very uh, beautiful, beautifully written. Harold will hate it, so <laughs> not going to tell him to listen to it, not to go read it. <laughs> I like I like Fahrenheit 451, but I don't remember it being... Hmm. It's a lot shorter than this one. Yeah, it's, it's it was, much it more was a short novel. Yeah. So, yeah, he's and he's had a lot of of his work turned into films some of them better than others uh the example i'm thinking of is there's a very short story called a sound of thunder which is about uh time travel going back in time and uh basically a guy steps on a butterfly and it messes up the time so when they go back everything's spelled differently oh is that where the butterfly effects theory comes from i believe so uh no, because the butterfly effect theory is a a uh, butterfly flaps its wings in Asia and creates and then Ashton a hurricane. Kutcher loses his arms, and then Ashton Kutcher <laughs> decides to make a w- different weird ending where he chokes himself with an, his umbilical cord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! I can't believe I forgot seeing that movie and forgot about that part. Yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's super messed Wait. up. That part happens in the movie? That's the alternate ending. Oh, there's an alternate ending? Yeah, there's a a ending. The original ending was he choked himself with his umbilical cord so that he would never meet the girl. And in the (laughs) the actual released ending, he's just super mean to her. And so she doesn't go live Uh, there. He Harry and the Hendersons her. It's not a good movie. Yeah, I don't remember (laughs) anything about the movie except for when he... Uh, goes to stop the bomb from blowing up, and then he wakes up in the future again, and he's missing both of his arms. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's all I remember from that movie. But Ray Bradbury had nothing to do with this movie. No. Uh, but he but, wrote it. You, Josh no, was just telling us no, about how sound, he wrote it. The Sound of Thunder is not the same as the butterfly effect. Butterfly effect is a butterfly in Asia flaps its wings, creates a hurricane that hits the United States. Uh, the time travel thing is just, that was just the metaphor. It was a picture. Or it was the, the squishing of one butterfly has, has that much. Yeah. Over time. The movie though, they took a two page, uh, story and tried to turn it into a two hour movie with weird, like gorilla insect creatures and time waves. It was bad. <laughs> if you want to see a real bad movie, watch a sound of thunder. <laughs> hey. So I binged it, The Butterfly Effect, starring Ashton Kutcher, based on Ray Bradbury's writings in The Sound really? of Thunder. Huh. I did no, not know that. No. No. <laughs> Why oh, would you do this? You're just doing that to, oh, to show people how gullible we are? 
Well, now we're going to have to edit this out and retract it. Yep. <laughs> yep. You forget, Harold. Andy's the editor. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just keep getting my truth out there if you take out. <laughs> Dear well, listener, I apologize for my friend here. You might you might have liked the uh, bumper sticker I, said today, I saw today. It said Infowars.com. The truth is out there. <laughs> oh, when you're here, but out there somewhere. You know, that's what I should start doing. I need to start calling people like that. You start calling like Alex Jones and, and whatnot, calling into their shows and just saying shit. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a butterfly effect that's going to result in the ruination of the entire world even more so. <laughs> right. Because they're going to roll with it and right. dickweeds are going to believe it. <laughs> And they're going to roll with it, and it might be a joke to you, but damn it, economies are going to collapse. What if I steer it in the right direction, though? <laughs> if you're if you're that good a liar, maybe. I don't know. It's not lying, Andy. I don't know how many times I got to tell you that. <laughs> so, something wicked this way comes. <laughs> we haven't touched on any of the plot yet. Well, the nope. theme Let's of the intro was the describing uh, taking as long as we could to get to the point. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so yeah, let's get into what actually happens in the book now. Take it away. <laughs> so the story opens with two young boys, uh, Jim Nightshade and Will Halloway. They were born, what, a minute away from each other? Like a minute? Yeah, one was born just before midnight and the one just after. And. Halloween. On Halloween. Yeah. Spooky like, as shit. <laughs> like their moms were friends and they like went to the hospital and labor together and they were the best of friends their entire lives. They're laying on the front lawn when a lightning rod salesman comes by. Did you guys ever ever know a traveling salesman or was that just before our time? That's before our time, I think. But even then, like this lightning rod salesman trying to sell a lightning rod to two little boys, that's fucking desperate. <laughs> that's some desperation yeah. right there. Yeah. This book was published in 1962, so there were a lot more door-to-door salesmen out there at oh, that yeah. point. Cut co-knives and... Yeah, vacuum salesman. We actually got visited by a vacuum salesman or two Yeah, back in the day. I think that's how like, we ended up with our rainbow vacuum. Yeah, yeah. That I think that was, was like a... one of the one of the last things being sold <laughs> door to door. Makes sense. Besides the knives, for some reason, I don't know how that how that kept going. <laughs> and I mean, this is the twenties, so there's probably a lot more out there then. Oh, this does this book take place in the nineteen twenties? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Nineteen twenties, Green Green Town. Got it. So the lightning rod salesman warns the boys that a storm is coming, and they don't have any money, but that's okay. Uh, he decides to give them a, a lightning rod anyway, and it's got like a bunch of like religious symbols like soldered onto it, like got some like cryptic symbols, what have you. There is a, an Egyptian scarab. I remember that one was on there. Yep. So they decided to uh, to nail it on top of uh, Jim's house. Because that's where the well, lightning no. rod salesman said. Yeah, the lightning rod salesman the had told them that that was the house it was going to hit. Yep. So they put it up even though Jim doesn't want to. He wanted to just, just see what happens. But Will persuades him that, you know, his mom's in there. It's not just you. <laughs> Think of your mom. You want her burnt? So they leave and they go to the library where they see an old man, old janitor there. Oh, God. He's so old. He's so old. He's 54. 
Yeah, he's like 54. That's like super old. I don't know, guys. I don't really agree with what you're saying right now about 54 being old. (laughs) Yeah, it's not that far away. It's not that far away. (laughs) But they do go on and on about how, oh, he's just so old. But this is actually Will's father. Mm -hmm. And that's how he feels about himself. He feels like he's really getting old and on the verge of uselessness. At 54 years young. But yeah, Will's dad is a uh, is a janitor at the library. Which seems like over overkill for the library. To have an elderly janitor, an elderly 54-year-old janitor. I just feel like, you know, they could have some kids volunteer. Hey, he's just trying to provide a living for his family. Yeah, and but hey, that's tax, taxpayer money. Yeah, what do you want him to go if... for? You know, to blow up people? <laughs> well, I mean- that's it's... super great usage of our tax dollars. Sorry, if, I won't get if this if this is based in the 1920s, then we could have preemptively been preparing for World War II instead of paying this man to clean a library. If it's in the 1920s, we're recovering from World War One. These are the issues I took with this book. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so the boys get their get some books and then they take off. And on their way home, they encounter a handbill for a carnival. Which is weird, because it's late in the year for a carnival. Yeah, they usually stop after Labor Day. But this one's coming to town. The Cougar and Dark. It's like a week out to to Halloween. Cougar and Dark's Pandemonium Shadow Show. So this carnival comes to town at, what was it? The train rolls in at like three in the morning. Yep. They hear the train at three in the morning. Yeah. And there's a long poetic passage about how three three o'clock in the morning specifically is like the time of day closest to death and darkness and, yep. and everything bad. Uh, the dad is thinking about how uh, more people die at 3 a.m. than any other time. And like if you wake up at four or five or six, you know, it's already you're close enough to time to get up. And if you wake up at one or two, it's you can still get back to sleep. But three in the morning is specifically bad because it's like you wake up and it's like, ah, it's three. I don't know. He didn't really go on beyond (laughs) that. It was just kind of like, ah, it's fucking three. (laughs) <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that if you're tired, you wake up at any time in the middle of the night. It's, ah! <laughs> it's, I mean, what if it's 2.45? You think he just rounds up to three? Maybe. I don't know. I don't think too much about it if I can go back to sleep. And I usually do go back to sleep, even if it's like 6.45 and my alarm's going to go off at 7. 6.45. I remember those days. <laughs> you remember those days when you were still asleep at 6.45? <laughs> yeah, when I wasn't pulling into work. <laughs> <laughs> that's a time where you're like oh shit it's 6 45 <laughs> i'm late i'm really late <laughs> but me i wake up at 6 45 it's like uh do i go back to sleep or do i wait or do i sleep until the alarm and i always sleep until the alarm i agree <laughs> i do the same thing and snooze like several times yeah i, I can't don't snooze. snooze yeah i don't snooze oh I, god I i'm a snoozer yeah i can't hit the snooze button it's annoying to me to fall asleep for small increments my engine's one of those where it's like it takes a few like pulls of the lawnmower uh, uh, pull thing, whatever they call that thing. Get some starter get fluid. Started. With, get some starter fluid <laughs> with one of those extenders and stick it in your ass in the morning. <laughs> get you wake, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend shooting starter fluid in your ass, listeners. Oh, we did. We did uh, flip over one part I wanted to bring up, which I thought was kind of funny. These guys are are creepers, and uh, they are peeping toms. They found this place where yeah. they can watch people get naked, 
and do oh it. Oh my god! Like yeah, Jim found this this window where they go. They call it their theater, and they watch these two people like hugging and stuff. And oh yeah. my god! Like, so they're uh, watching some people have sex. Yeah, yeah. Dude. And Will's Will uh, feels uncomfortable. Is like, hey, let's go. We can't. We can't do this. And but Jim's like, no, I'm watching this. This is good stuff. <laughs> Jim, you little bastard. <laughs> Jim is the 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 dark twin, the evil twin. Like they're not bro- they're not brothers. They were just right. born a minute apart from each other at on the same day. Well, not the same day, but you know, a minute right. apart from each other. Yeah, there's light and, and dark. Known each other all, their entire lives. Yeah, but yep. Will is the the light child, and Jim is the dark one. They do discuss it as uh, what hat they're gonna wear. Are they gonna wear the dark hat or the light hat? Yeah, they have that discussion with. Uh, with, with Charles, um, Will's dad at the library. Yeah. Like, he may be just a janitor at the library, but he is big on reading and literature and uh, narrative tropes and stuff. It's as if he took the job for the benefits, not for the cleaning. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like an author wrote the book. <laughs> it's, it's almost, yeah, it's almost like an author wrote the book. It's <laughs> <almost> strange. <laughs> or it's almost like the character is written by someone who is very deeply into literature and yeah. all that st- same stuff. Like it's someone weird. who spent hours and hours paying uh, 10 cents uh, to use a typewriter at a library for years and years <laughs> while writing stories. Yeah, Charles Halloway may be uh, Ray Bradbury writing himself into the book yeah <laughs> right the coincidences are there though for sure so yes at three o'clock in the morning a funeral train all black plume cars and licorice colored cages arrive in the town and this tent and poles don't go up like normal they they do have workers but it's almost as if the tents are made up out of the clouds like they're pulling it out they're pulling the atmosphere to make the canvas which I thought was pretty cool. Well, and I just feel like that would look really weird if that was happening, and I might think something about it. Like those weren't canvas. That's that was a cloud. Everyone saw that, right? <laughs> Everyone saw the cloud <laughs> turn into a tent, right? Well, technically, only two people did because it's three o'clock. The only people that are up right now are the boys. What are those kids doing up? Three o'clock in the morning, they should be in bed. Ah, uh, it's the twenties. Well, They're latchkey kid types. <laughs> And they wanted to sneak out to see the carnival come in. In the 20s, you weren't a latchkey kid. You were a straight-up adult at, like, seven years old. This is (laughs) pretty true, yeah. You went to a work camp and broke rocks. (laughs) Like, what's the definition of a latchkey kid? I've never been 100% on that. A latchkey kid? Where you leave them unsupervised in the house behind locked doors? No, no. A latchkey kid is a kid that- Or you lock them out of the house. A kid that gets out of school, walks home by themselves, and has a key to get in so they can be home okay. alone until their parents get home. Which I don't know why that's not more of a thing because these days, like, both parents need to be working. I think it's because parents have more concern. Well, <laughs> maybe. It's very concerning how many kids are going missing. Maybe if it was more like the 1920s, we wouldn't have to worry about where our kids are because we could send them to work camps. Well, in the majority <laughs> of the 20s, uh, kids didn't live. Jim's mom talks about how he was the only one that survived. Oh, no, no. I'm definitely lucky lucky to be alive because my grandpa Miller was born in 1920 and somehow survived through World well, War II. he's a Miller. Yeah, right. Harold. So you always say. <laughs> he was definitely a strong motherfucker. <laughs> so, yes, they're, they're seeing this, this 
carnival be put up in a very magical way. But there is a, a ad in the town. It is the most beautiful woman in the world. And Mr. Holloway saw it and didn't really think it, didn't see anything when he went to have his one drink of the day. He, he drinks one drink a day to keep his, his inner boy at bay or something. Something like that. But the lightning rod salesman sees the most beautiful woman in the world and just up and takes it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking about like, Whatever, as I was getting like later and later into the book, I was wondering whatever happened with this most beautiful woman in the world who was like encapsulated in ice that they they brought in to like display in a window. And like she doesn't really come up into the in the story like at all after like the first part of the book, whatever. But I guess that's what they what the carnival used to uh, lure in. Um, Was it Mr. Fury, the uh, lightning rod salesman? Yes. Because it it wasn't for everyone. Again, Halloway didn't see anything inside of that, inside of that block of ice. Whereas Fury did see the most beautiful woman in the world, and he he needed to possess it, and so he stole it. And because he stole it, he gets punished. I thought the reason that Holloway didn't necessarily see the most beautiful woman in the world was because when he when he had the thought or he was thinking about that pamphlet, he said out loud the most beautiful woman in the world and his wife was like, oh, come on, I am not. And I feel like because that moment kind of like she took it that way, so he turned it to be like I meant it that way, meant that whatever glamour it might have had over him, he wasn't looking for the most beautiful woman in the world when he went there. Yeah, that's not his vice. Right. So that's not what's going to draw him in. Right. Mm. Plus, like you said, he's got a hot piece at home. So apparently she's <laughs> way younger than him. Like she was the one who uh, who like stopped his wandering ways at the age of 39, I believe he said. Like he went, did like odd jobs from town to town for most of his life and met uh, met that woman and settled down. At the library of, of all places. At the library, yeah. She, <laughs> he met this hot librarian and yeah, that was it. That was it for him. And then came Will. Then came Will. And then years of despair. And years of despair. <laughs> Basically, I mean, he does get to that where he's like, I'm 54. I'm supposed to be able to play with my boy. And I can't even do that because I'm old. It's far. I need a Corvette. <laughs> he's definitely having a post midlife crisis. <laughs> so in the morning, the two boys get go back to the carnival, but it's just like every other carnival it seems. It's not. It's not crazy like they thought it was going to be. Like they saw the night before, and they see their seventh grade teacher, Miss Foley, and her nephew Robert. So Miss Foley decides to go through the mirror maze, and Will just freaks out and says not to go in there. And that's because like a bad feeling. Yeah, he probably had like a bad feeling or just something. He was just like, no, don't go in. But I got a bad feeling about this. Oh, they really sell this mirror maze as being crazy, crazy, really bad news. She goes in and then they, they, they pull her out. They get her out of there. She escapes, but she's, she's like, I saw a girl in there. They're like, there's nobody else in there. She's like, no, I saw a young girl, but the young girl. And it turns out the young girl that she saw looked like her when she was younger. So you think like the reflections that you see in the mirror maze are kind of like this, uh, like that mirror of desire or whatever Arizad in Harry Potter. Yeah. yeah. She wants, show, it yeah. shows you what you want. Like she wants to be younger. I think everything around there shows you what you want in uh, like, 
to tr- like Josh was saying to draw you in mm-hmm. or something about you because near the end of the book like um Charles goes it is Charles right the dad yeah <laughs> Charles Wallace Charles, oh God, no. is it though? Charles Holloway goes in and he sees like his own reflection like progressively older and older and older but that's not exactly what he wants that's how he sees himself as like just aging yeah just it'll show you whatever it needs to show you to get you to get caught desperate yeah. well desperate enough to do what it wants you to do so for him yeah it's a fear of becoming older whereas for her it was a want to become younger mm-hmm. and this is this by the way is our second straight week of a book with a mirror maze in it yes it is <laughs> this mirror maze was a little bit better than the last one i mean this mirror maze didn't crush like threaten to crush you to death didn't come in at you and drop you on on the turf <laughs> the mysteriousness of when this one done. is cooler i mean than yeah. the other one the other one was kind of like a scary death trap this one is a mind fuck yeah it's, i was gonna say a psychological kind of thing but yeah, yeah a mind fuck is a better is a more reliterated term for it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah jim also got pulled a little ways into the maze and but they don't say what he saw i think that he just saw himself as like a 20 year old like that's yeah. what he wanted yeah because that yeah. was his his draw was to get a little bit older mm-hmm. so they go all over the carnival and they actually come across a dark leather bag that someone had left and they recognize it as the bag that the lightning rod salesman had do you guys think he was stealing those lightning rods or do you think he was just selling them i mean i believe he was just selling them i think it's weird that it it had strange symbols and whatnot on it because why Mm -hmm. but um i do believe that they were he was just it's kind of weird that he just straight up gave the boys (laughs) a lightning rod but you carry around a bag of like iron rods that's gonna you're gonna get tired of carrying that well and i mean at that time the sale would be like you put the lightning rod at the one house and other people see it and then you come back Mm. and you're like oh yeah they got one over there you know and you know (laughs) yeah Sure, you don't have to tell them they got it for free. Right. But you go through a storm and your house doesn't get struck by lightning and you you tell all your neighbors, hey, guess what? My house didn't get struck by lightning. This lightning rod works. This lightning rod fucking works. (laughs) I'm going to get three more. (laughs) (laughs) And then the boys come to this out of order sign on the carousel, but they still snoop around and uh, they actually find are picked up by mr cougar and then mr dark also sees them and mr dark is the illustrated man which is the title of a collection of short stories that ray bradbury wrote as well so okay so he's got a bradbury verse then maybe yeah makes Mm. sense so yeah mr dark is basically mr cougar and mr dark are the owners of this carnival they're the big dogs that clearly have nefarious interests. And so they tell the boys to come back uh, to ride it when it's repaired. But the boys just go and hide in a tree to see what they can see what's going on. And the carousel starts going backwards. And it's playing a song backwards. It's the Funeral March by Chopin. <laughs> Chopin. By Chopin. By Chopin. You thought it was ch- pronounced Chopin until earlier. tonight, yeah. didn't you? I didn't know Chopin was like, I was like, whatever, it's Chopin. It's fine. <laughs> it's Chopin Broccoli. Oh, yes. I haven't heard that in a minute. Nice. But yes, I digress. 
So it is playing <laughs> the funeral march backwards. Yeah, and the uh, the funeral march by Chopin is the uh, is the song I played a little bit of at the uh, beginning of this episode, and this is what it sounds like in reverse. And so they see Cougar going around the carousel backwards, and he starts de-aging. He is, every time it goes around, one less year on him, and he, he actually turns into a 12-year-old boy. Which is weird to want to be a 12-year-old boy. I mean, like, if I was old, like, let's say 30 years from now, I could go back in time. I would, like, just by body, still be a lot. Yeah. I would mm-hmm. want to go back to, like, 25 I wouldn't want to go back to even... Yeah, who wants to relive puberty? Yeah, I wouldn't even want to go back to 20. I'd want to go back to like 25. <laughs> like, that's good. That's good enough. That's a good reset point, yeah. They'd be like, you can only do it once, be like 25. Yeah, I'm still on 25. <laughs> I'd have to go back to 21. That would be the, the age I could I could go back and reset. That'd be good. But, you know, time only moves forward in this in this dimension, so... Unless there's wrinkles. That's a defeatist <laughs> attitude, Josh. Yeah, yeah. No, they're definitely playing with some soup with this carousel, though. Good good soup. It's good, good soup. Good dimi- dimensional <laughs> soup. <laughs> we talk about soup a lot in this in this podcast. <laughs> it's literary soup cast. Which is weird, because I don't even like soup. <laughs> I like soup. Soup is good. I like soup. Depends on the soup. Yeah. I mean, there's good soup and there's bad soup. Especially if they use a good bouillon in it, you know? Bouillon. Chappin. <laughs> Chappin. <laughs> yeah. So the boys, uh, they they saw what happened, so they take off. And Will thinks he's going to hear something from Will, from, from Jim. But instead, Jim just, uh, just, Jim sneaks out on his own. But Will sees him, so he follows him. And where do they, where does Jim go? goes to miss miss foley's house why why is he gonna look in her window now (laughs) well that's where the that's where mr cougar is or the 12 year old cougar anyway because he's the nephew i thought cougars were older ladies no No, mr cougar got turned into a 12 year old g-e-r okay so if you're the problem with listening as opposed to reading boy cougars boy cougar boy cougars being 12 years old is problematic (laughs) <laughs> like he, this is literally a man child yeah well you can see it in the eyes guys that's how you know he's old oh yeah you can tell like <laughs> yeah i knew a guy that would say that he would say i could tell we had the id and i would like feel like he would be helping somebody and i'd go up and be like i need to see your id and then he'd be like no i knew they were old enough and i'm like they didn't look old enough, okay? And he's like, I could tell by their eyes. <laughs> like, you can't tell <laughs> fucking shit about their eyes unless they got cataracts, dude. <laughs> so, like, holy shit. <laughs> so, as they have followed the, the man-child cougar back to uh, Miss Foley's house, where uh, cougar has convinced her that he is her nephew, like a long-lost nephew. That just showed up. And she accepts it. Yeah. <laughs> she accepts it because the mirror maze kind of broke her brain. 
And also in 1920, it probably wasn't odd for a 12-year-old to be surviving on their own. <laughs> or to have nephews just pop out of the woodworks <laughs> and say, hey, I'm, I'm your relative. Not to keep hi- ripe or uh, going on the man tonight, but at 14, my grandpa ran away from California and moved to Michigan. So <laughs> it, it was a different time. Who was smart then? Yeah. He left the warmth for cold? No, thank he, you. He left a lot of things in California for... A better life. <laughs> he left the best tacos and hiking in America. Mind you, <laughs> mind you that again, like six or seven years later, he was in the cold in Germany. So <laughs> realistically, life just kind of happened to to him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So yeah, the boys are arguing on the lawn, which got the attention of Robert, the nephew. And so he does what I thought was very smart and starts throwing the jewelry on the lawn at them and starts yelling thief. (laughs) He like takes a bunch of Miss Foley's jewelry and throws it at them and accuses Jim and Will of being thieves. That's a good idea. So she gets up and sees it and she's like, oh no, it's them. They are. So now nobody will, will trust them because they're just thieves. Little thieving bastards. What was the what was that one word? Night night raiders? I was like <laughs> night, night raiders. raiders. That's insane. They're just kids. <laughs> <laughs> but a, a lot of, a lot happens here from where they go from here. Like they they end up going back to the carnival again. Correct. I'm not skipping anything, am I? No, they go they back to up, the carnival. Yeah, yeah, they go back to the they carnival. Go, they go and, back to the carnival, and Cougar is going to reage himself. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. He just needs to get back up to regular age. But uh, Jim wants to join him because he wants to be older, too. And Will wants to stop him because he's, like, you know, his protector. It's like, don't fuck with the natural order of things, man. What are doing? They end up getting, they end up fighting and they break the carousel and it spins and spins and spins until Cougar is like 130 years old. 150 to 200 years old. Yeah. Possibly 300. Yes. Just don't know. stupid, decrepit. Whatever it was, he was dying of it as so far Jim as age Will, goes. Yeah. Jim and Will run away to get the police. Which, okay, they had just got accused of robbing someone. <laughs> These cops don't seem to even know anything about that. How big no. is this town? Well, I mean, it's also early on. I imagine that they threw the jewelry at them. He called them thieves. They didn't actually take the jewelry from there. So, you know, they probably just picked the jewelry back up and were like, okay, thieving over. But they didn't. They ran because they had to follow Robert. Well, why did Miss Foley and, the, you know, so she cleaned up the jewelry. That comes later because we find out the boys help her clean it up at night, but they have to go back and try to find it more. They're just leaving the jewelry out on the lawn all night? It's the 20s. Who's going to walk yeah. by? Other than, you know, lightning rod salesman. <laughs> like, was, wasn't Miss Foley, like, right there and, like, to, and saw them, like, all run off? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she grabbed, like, the big pieces, and then they went back for, like, the, like, you know, stuff that she couldn't see. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she's going to report a, like a, an attempted robbery. I think Ray Bradbury forgot the fuck he was writing about because he was, he, <laughs> there's he was a, like, there's a lot of business around the boys like turning themselves in or apologizing to Miss Foley or. <laughs> yeah, that comes later, though. Or what have you. Right but now, they come back to the carnival with the police. Yes. And the body's gone. So they go into the tent and they see all the freaks and the performers. And Mr. Dark's like, hey, we're just, we're trying out our new acts. You should, you should come watch. 
and they show the new act that is Mr. Electro. Electrico. Which is actually Mr. Cougar in a, an electric chair. <laughs> so for some reason they're using electricity to keep uh mr cougar alive but that's not what is actually keeping him alive what's actually keeping him alive is the magic of the dark the dark it's carnival the magic of the dark because Ooh. while while they're doing <laughs> sh- doing this show the boys are noticing that whenever the freaks all breathe in together that's when the Mr. Cougar breathes in and when they breathe out. So it's not the electricity that's doing anything. It's just the dark magic within the carnival. This electrico thing is just an act. It is. But yeah, Cougar's still kind of barely clinging to life because he's like 150 years old now. Yeah. He tells the police that they were playing a trick on the kids and that he just pretended to be dead. (laughs) Got you. Some funny shit. There was a, pretending to be dead on my mind i can't remember what it was called but there's a movie with i think christian slater and i believe winona Ryder, where they like fake suicides and like one of the ways they do it is like they tie something Are you talking under about the- heathers is that what it is i think you're talking about heathers mm, teenage yeah. suicide no. don't do it that one yeah maybe i don't know <laughs> they they tie they like tie it under their armpits and then put her put something around yeah, their neck that's like it looked like they hung out yeah that was a fucked up movie yeah it was <laughs> yep everybody's wearing these giant wham type shirts that say teenage suicide don't do it and christian slater's walking around is he wearing a fucking uh overcoat in that movie yeah like their trench coat the whole yeah, time like a trench coat yeah yeah he's so like so badass and cool. he's so edgy <laughs> I saw the I saw the musical on stage. <laughs> nice. They, they made a musical out of it. Nice. It's pretty fun. They made a musical out of Legally Blonde. That was amazing. Oh man. I never saw that one. So good. Highly recommend. All right. So get but, back to summer get back so to summarizing was, this up. That is the part one. That is part one. <laughs> that is arrivals. So that is where the carnival has arrived. We meet the boys. We meet mo- most of the I'm pretty sure all the main yep, players. Cougar and Dark. Yeah, Cougar and Dark, the lightning rod salesman. Mm-hmm. Charles Holloway. So the next part starts out with actually the viewpoint of Miss Foley. And she talks about how she keeps seeing these this old woman in her house all over from these mirrors that she has all over. All she sees is this old woman. So it's showing her desire to not be old. Her fear of being old. Yeah, it's her fear of of aging. <laughs> her desire of not being old. Yeah, that's a, that's that's the Bradbury in him. He's like, how do I say fear of aging in a different way that would take more words? <laughs> <laughs> An overwhelming desire to not be old. <laughs> like the rocks of the mountains. <laughs> swept Gathering by moss. wind and sand slowly <laughs> ground down i will say that bradbury is way better at metaphor than than this <laughs> yeah 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 for sure right i've been up since 5 30 this morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah miss foley gets drawn back to the to the carnival but she doesn't want to be prevented so she actually turns uh she goes to the police to report the boys but she doesn't want to just you know give them criminal records she just wants the she won't press charges as long as the boys are okay and they actually are right there to confess when she's doing it so after they turn themselves in uh they walk back home with uh, mr holloway and uh jim they, jim uh uses a secret ladder that he had installed on his house which 
I don't know about you guys, but if I would have did that shit, I would have gotten some serious trouble. For putting a secret ladder <laughs> on your house? They're yeah, like, dude. Nailed, going through they the- nailed some rails to the side of the house, like uh, hidden by like the ivy on it. Yeah. If I would have put a, a hole in the siding, I would have got in very big trouble. I don't know about you guys, but- but they kind of show that, like, show this to their dad. I don't know yeah. why or whatever. They're like opening up to him or, or whatever. But because he's so wistful for his days of youth, he actually relates relates to them and is okay with it. Yeah, he's like, I was a kid once. I I get it. I thought this was kind of fun, a uh, fun playing right here because Will taunts taunts his dad, like, because his dad's just gonna walk in. He's like, "You won't do it." He's like, "I'll bet you I will." So he chases him up the ladder. I was just like, "Oh, that's a cool fun father son moment." I just I liked it. I thought it was cute. Mm, this this uh, chapter was a very very good father son bonding chapter. Mm-hmm. Very little to do with the actual story. So if you just want to read the story, just skip that chapter altogether. You don't need to. It's not needed. <laughs> no one needs to think that fathers and sons should be able to bond with each other. Everybody knows fathers are supposed to be distant and their children can never know for sure if they love them. <laughs> I only laugh because I know that you are one of the most doting fathers I've ever seen. <laughs> Both of you. So, yeah. Yeah, it's true. You you talk you talk real hard, but again, you you all your talk ends up you lying on the ground ge- being beaten by your by your child. So <laughs> I let him win. Getting beaten by your child. So yeah, that's another theme of this. It's the, you know, father-son bonding and uh coming of age and oh, just I love it. I love this book. So, I'm doing my best to summarize. <laughs> <laughs> But we're an hour in and we're through part one. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. You guys are not, you said 20 minutes, try and get the book done in 20 minutes, and now you're doing the exact same thing. <laughs> we're that not, we do every we're time. Doing, when we're have we ever done a book in 20 do. minutes? We are going faster. When has it ever taken 20 minutes? Yeah. I didn't think it was going to take 20 minutes, but there's been some pretty deep fucking dives that we could have come back to and talked about separately. <laughs> we got some, hey, we're just doing it as it goes now. That's just how it's going to be. Right. We've tried it happens. so many other times, other ways. It doesn't work. This is what we do. <laughs> it doesn't work because we don't try it. We're doing the same thing again. <laughs> All right. So here, this next part of, this next part of the story is the uh the chase of the the dust witch oh yes which was a pretty exciting uh part of the book where she like comes by and kind of marks their house marks jim's house with like a slime whatever so they they wash it off so she can't like come back she she comes up in a hot air balloon yeah they're using the balloon Ooh, but the dust witch is like this what like a tall gangly blind uh, well, I just imagined her like one of those uh, fortune telling type machines, just r- really ratty and raggedy. I guess her official name is like Madame Tarot, like a tarot card. Yeah. But she travels around in a fortune telling machine? She travels around in a hot air balloon. The is rest of like the time, a- she just looks like a wax figure. Ooh. But she can sort of, sort of read thoughts, read minds. She's got very powerful senses and chases will <laughs> late at night with her hot air balloon <laughs> <laughs> but he he ambushes her with a uh, with a bow and arrow and Bam. like he she manages to like knock the the bow out of his hand or whatever but he can like throw the arrow and pops her balloon <laughs> that's not how hot air yeah. balloons work though that's how hot he air balloons it. work 
It's not but a hot it, air it, balloon, you guys. It's a magic dark air balloon. A dark air balloon. Okay. So that's why it was able to get all the way back to the fairground before it completely deflated. That makes sense. <laughs> but the next chapter, the best chapter in the book, chapter 31. I'll read the whole thing right now. Nothing much else happened all the rest of that night. End of chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you guys would like that part. <laughs> yeah, I would say that. It's a lot of, of filler, though. Yeah, a lot of like, filler. This whole in that chapter sense. is filler. <laughs> Do we even need that chapter? <laughs> I feel like that chapter definitely. I mean. I can say he could have just said nothing else happened all that night. You know, there were a lot, uh, there were extra words in there. (laughs) 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 Yep. Missed opportunities. But the next day they find a little girl crying because she is lost, but they recognize that the little girl is actually Miss Foley. So she went to the carnival and they made her, they took her on the merry-go-round and made her young again. She did it. But apparently it broke her brain. As, as it might. Yep. (laughs) Yep. So now she has, she doesn't know what to do. So they, the boys are like, Hey, we're, we're going to go get help. But I don't think they ever go back to find her. Do they? Nope. Nope. When they come back, their path is blocked by a parade. Oh, yes. The parade that is actually searching for them. Mm hmm. Mr. Dark is leading like this the huge menagerie of freaks and dark, twisted creatures looking for the boys what killed their balloon. Fuck yeah, man. And everybody dreamed about the balloon being dead. Yeah. Like it was Jim was talking about the. Yeah, the funeral for a balloon, like a, in like a forty foot long casket. <laughs> it's crazy. So, it weird. do you guys think the balloon was somebody that was captured by the Dark Carnival for? Ooh, or like the balloon was a separate person? Yeah, like is the balloon one of the freaks? That's what I literally, right. well, not literally, we're, just we're said. Saying, but well, yeah, like when the when the carnival captures people, it, it they. It changes them, them into yeah into into freaks like the the skeleton the dust witch the um, the dwarf yeah we find out the dwarf was the lightning rod salesman yep yeah then I think it was I like the barber got, yeah we uh, skipped over it got taken and turned into like a camera face person that's cool <laughs> that was pretty cool aren't we all kind of like camera face people basically I mean we our our photos develop like immediately. And they also which disappear is, which is after cool. a certain amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> Technology has come a long way, man. Yeah. But the boys are hiding from the carnival. In plain sight in the in a grate underneath the cigar shop. Not exactly in plain sight right there, but they're hiding in underneath uh I picture like a storm drain, like they're uh they're pennywise in it. Oh yeah, for sure. Maybe. I mean I guess I looked at it more like how they will have like the grates on the sidewalk down again mm-hmm. in some towns. Oh yeah, like that you could lift up and actually climb down inside instead of like because it'd be that storm drain, you know, might be a little bit difficult to fit into even for a kid. Might be. Yeah, because it, it when when the little kid went down in the storm drain to hang out with Pennywise, his arm got ripped off because <laughs> he was trying too hard to get down there. But anyways, this uh, this grate is like. <laughs> In front of the uh, the cigar store where Will's father uh, stops in at, and uh, the boys are trying to get Dad's attention without giving themselves away when uh, the illustrated man, Mr. Dark, approaches uh, Charles. Starts showing us some tattoos. 
<laughs> he's like, hey, do you like these tattoos? One of them's your son's face. You know, I mean, like, it's kind of kind of a, a weird. I, I would feel strange as the dad. I might not even be trying to just hide my kids. I might, like, get a hold of the police and be like, listen, this guy <laughs> has tattooed my child's face on his arm. <laughs> it's on his palm. Yeah, 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 his palm. Yeah. Like, on one hand, he's got a picture of Will, and the other hand, he's got a picture of Jim. Yeah, that's even more pal- disturbing. On his palms, yeah. But they have a, a tense little uh, tete-a-tete, and uh, the Dust Witch uh, kind of joins in on this uh, this interaction and just kind of sniffing out the boys, but uh, Charles blows some cigar smoke in her face. Yeah, he notices that she's using her sense of smell to mm-hmm. try to find the boys. Because, like, the boys are somewhat able to, like, telepathically send uh, thoughts to their dad. Or maybe they're just trying to speak non-verbally. Right. Or whatever. But, uh, yeah, uh, his dad definitely knows that they're there. And he's trying to lure Dark away from uh, from there. But he winds up telling Mr. Dark uh, what his name is and where he works. Basically invites him to, to stop by later at the library. Maybe reading a little book called The Bible to help you out, Mr. Dark. <laughs> <laughs> but Dark assures that he will come and visit Mr. Holloway. But the boys stay hidden until dark, and then they go to the library. <laughs> until dark. Yeah, because <laughs> if we know one thing about, you know, bad people that want to hurt others, they do it during the daylight hours. Totally. So when they go to the library, they just start looking, start looking for, well, Mr. Holloway starts looking for where in history have the, has this happened before. Yeah, he's been doing some research on on this carnival, and it turns out that this carnival has come through before like several times, uh, a few decades apart from, from each other, but always with the same uh, same two names, two people attached to it. Cougar and Dark. It's a family name, clearly. I don't feel like there's anything... I think that people are harassing these carnival workers and making pretty nasty allegations about immortality and (laughs) (laughs) aging and (laughs) de-aging. Except no, because Charles is so good at reading and research, he knows that this is exactly what's going on. It is the the same Cougar and Dark... Coming by over the years. So you're trying to tell me he did his own research? He did his own research, yep. And he didn't do it on the internet. He did it in a library. (laughs) Oh, man. It's a library with books, so you know it's legit. Uh, I go to the library, just type into a book, and... (laughs) Or what if I just, like, printed my own book, and then just snuck it into the library and put it in the shelf? Then that canonizes your thoughts (laughs) as facts. A history of everything, it would be called. <laughs> so he his research tells him that the carnival is run by the autumn people, and they function in darkness. They are the physical embodiment of evil. He knows this because he's read a lot of books. Yes. Does, does it have any way to stop them? Does it tell them? Tell them how to stop it. It doesn't. Sons of bitches. Just news stories and things like that. It's just, in general, the the autumn people are uh, fueled by everything that's dark and sad and scary and negative. That is what fuels them. 
Mm-hmm. People's misery. And of course, the way to get rid of them is missing from the instruction manual. Well, again, he was doing research. It was just, you know, newspaper clippings. And it's obviously still happening, so no one's been able to stop it before. So, Do, do they try unplugging it and plugging it back in? <laughs> Don't think that's how a carnival works. <laughs> right. So at this point, Holloway actually confesses that he is scared of Mr. Dark and the carnival. But Mr. Dark also fears him so they both they both have something to lose right well i mean mr holloway's a strapping young 54 year old man yeah so at this point in the story (laughs) has very little to do with the dark carnival storyline this is a lot of growth between the boys and mr holloway between will and his father like he literally says at one point i didn't know you could talk dad i didn't know you could talk like this dad so yeah this this is a janitor like waxing philosophical about good and bad and like light and dark and good and evil whatever right well you know i mean it just goes to show that somebody's job is not necessarily the defining quality about them yeah it's weird how like a whole generation just took their occupation as what they were right like there's more to you there's more to you it's not even just a whole generation i mean it's still pervasive today Mm. Mm. listeners you are more than your occupation you are more than your occupation (laughs) it is just how you make money yes and if it if it's not good and it's not treating you right there are other options look just become a podcaster yeah Someday, someday we'll have ads, maybe. Someday that'll bring in a little bit of money. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But it's kind of sad that the only way to make money in something is to engage in capitalism and sell advertisements. I know, it hurts. It hurts. But I also want us to be popular. So (laughs) So shallow. Let's work work on bringing home something wicked this way comes. Yes. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna depend on our ability to summarize books. So here we go. Let's bring this in for a landing, guys. We're on part two. There's another part after this. But Mr. Dark appears at the library looking for Will and Jim. But the boys go and hide. So the the illustrated man and Mr. Holloway get into quite the verbal altercation. But he's just trying. Uh, Mr. Holloway's just trying to distract Dark from finding the boys. But he's not very successful. No. At one point, uh, the illustrated man just crushes Mr. Holloway's hand. But, this is pretty pretty metal. Yeah. But obviously, uh, Dark finds the boys, and he brings the dust switch out, and she uses magic to sew up their mouths, eyes, and the ears. So he basically takes control of them. Yep, and now he's marionetting them uh, through town again, back to the carnival. Oh, but he's also he also sends the dust witch back to to kill uh, Charles while he takes the boys back to the carnival. Yeah, which... he, she tries to use the spell where she'd be heart slow, but then Mr. Holloway remembers... You know, that no matter what, it's still, things are okay. And he smiles. And the dust which draws away from him. Because that that is what harms them. Happiness. Cheer. I think it was like, as he was about to die, like a funny thought occurred to him. Like her long fingers were like tickling him. And so he, <clears throat> that struck him as funny and he started laughing. Which is a, a happiness, a positive thing which is the way to combat the darkness so he overpowers the witch with the power of laughter and survives her attack on his heart yes 
And that is part two. <laughs> That's the end of part two. That is the end of Pursuits. And now we are on part three, Departures. Yeah, we're doing good. I wonder if anyone's going to be departing. Mm, maybe. This is Departs, where the book ends. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, the boys are marched back to the uh back to the carnival. And they're kind of stashed at the back of the the mirror maze with a bunch of wax figures. Weren't they like grotesque kind of dying people? It it was, but what what they're trying to do is they're trying to entice Jim. They're trying to get Jim to agree to be a part of their that they would age him. And what they'll do to Will is make him a baby that the dwarf can just carry around. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> that's something that dwarves you, do. No, no. Did you get the sense that Mr. Dark was going to replace Cougar with uh, with Jim? He straight up said he was going to replace like Cougar wanted- with Jim. He's like, if <laughs> oh, we yeah, can't bring right. back Cougar- Nightshade and Dark. It's a natural pairing, right? Yeah. If he can't bring back Cougar, you're going to take over. You're going to be my partner. Yes, like the Sith- Yes, the rules. <laughs> the rule of two. The rule of two. <laughs> of the Sith. Do it. So Dark is putting on like the final act, the final live act of the of the carnival, getting ready to uh, uh, to send the crowds home and pull up stakes and move on, whatever. But uh, Charles Holloway, having having survived the attack of the Dust Witch, uh, makes his way to the carnival, and uh, for the for this last act, uh, Dark is requesting a volunteer. And Charles uh, offers himself as that volunteer. Yeah, it's the world-famous bullet trick. And at first, there are no takers. And the bullet witch is actually, er, uh, the dust witch is actually scared. <laughs> She's like, no, no, don't do it. And then, yeah, Charles shows up and Dark is amazed like that he's there, even though the dust, dust witch did say like she wasn't able to, to kill him. Right, she was like reporting in saying, hey, I, I was unsuccessful. Yeah, and <laughs> don't do the trick. <laughs> <laughs> but Dark is going through with the trick anyways. So he brings Charles up on stage, and the trick is going to be that what he has to shoot a target. Well, she's going to catch the bullet in her mouth. She's going to catch the bullet in her mouth. That is, so um, what would normally happen, there'd be you know the, the quick uh, quick hand and make it look like what would happen would was as they explained a wax bullet is fired which just evaporates in the gun and then through mm-hmm. sleight of hand it she uh is able to put the bullet in their mouth that's how that trick works but they do it a little differently because they use magic and so because charles hand is crushed by dark he's like oh i need i need a helper oh wait my son's here and so he starts calling for will to come and help him so dark has to bring will forward out of the mirror maze in order to help his father because why wouldn't why wouldn't your son help out with this trick right he's very like charles is very publicly calling for his son because he knows that uh dark has him yeah even the crowd and, like, gets behind him yeah they're like will where are you will come out <laughs> and like if this is the point where the the public watch it uh, watches this uh this man realize his son is missing there's going to be a big thing and uh dark doesn't want to deal with that so it forces him to bring will out at any rate right even though will is kind of still under under his spell but he just kind of puppets him out from uh, the mirror mist tent i suppose so uh, charles has uh, will uh, hold the gun for him while he shoots with his good hand but first he marks the bullet 
He marks, he marks the, bullet the bullet. Yep. With... He tells him it's going to be with like a crescent moon symbol. Mm-hmm. And but then... he secretly carves a smiley face on the bullet. Well, he just does his smile. That's the crescent moon. It, it was a smile. And he tells this to the the dust witch. He he basically mouths it to her. It's like, hey, this isn't a moon. <laughs> this is my smile. By the way. I shot you a smile. And so, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, not a smile. Ah. Yeah, Halloween fires a rifle, and the Dutch d- dust witch gets shot and dies. Killed by a smile. Killed, Killed by her a with smile. kindness. Yeah, that's how you fight the dark. Kindness. You can't spell slaughter without laughter. <laughs> so, yes, the dust witch is dead. Ironically, the the dwarf was not happy about it. And then what do they do? They go into the the mirror so, maze. Yes, they go now. Um, they go to rescue Jim from the wax museum, which is through mm-hmm. the mirror maze. Yeah. And so Mr. Holloway has to go through the mirror maze, but he already knows what's going to be in the maze. So uh, it doesn't show him the fan his youth because they know that that's not what's going to scare him. What's going to make him want to do that is they show him being very old. And so he sees himself and he actually starts to get uh, bogged down by these images. But his son is there to help him through it. And then the lights go out. And every time he, light, uh, Will being the boy that he is, he has matches. So he'll light a match. And every time he lights it, Mr. Holloway sees himself as even older. That would suck. Yeah. But then Will cries out and, you know, tells us, screams out how much he loves his father and how, you know, age, it's not his age that it's not going to stop him from being the father that he is and that he loves him. And that's when Charles understands and knows that he is loved and he can he, he gets back his courage and he actually begins to laugh. And that destroys the mirror maze. Yes. Like his the in- mirrors all start shattering with the power of love and laughter. Yes. So laughter proves to be quite the weapon that they can wield. Laughter is a potent thing. Mm-hmm. Like if this novel has a uh, has a, like a, a movie tagline, it would be "Laugh, love, live." <laughs> is live, love, laugh? Whatever it is, I hate it. <laughs> live, let, live, love, laugh, love, live, love, or live, live, love, laugh, live, laugh, love. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Live, yeah. laugh, love. Yeah, live, laugh, love, lift. Lift. (laughs) Lift lumpy lasagna. (laughs) So they search for the broken glass through through and they they don't they can't find Jim. And so they figure out that what they're going to do, what they did was they took Jim to the carousel. So the Halloways are running down midway and actually the freaks let them go by. Because they're not freaks at all. They're just people that got screwed over because they tried to steal something. I think it's because they're scared because he killed the dust witch. Oh, that's true, too. Like, fuck, I don't want to die. So I think that they actually have- <laughs> Dude might smile at me. Yeah, they have fear <laughs> of him, so they, they don't want to get in his way. That guy's capable of man's laughter. <laughs> man's laughter. On, <laughs> on the first degree. <laughs> but they hear the Calliope's music playing, so they arrive and they see Jim is about ready to get onto the carousel. But Will runs and you know yells at Jim and he tries to stop him. Not only that, they uh, 
they they are sure that they're trying to move uh, Cougar to the uh, to the carousel so they can deoldify him. Yeah. But they come across his uh, his chair and like a bunch of ashes, right? Well, no. What they do is they just find the chair knocked over, and then mm. uh, when they arrive at, at the carousel, Mister Holloway smells something in the air, and it's later that they realize, oh, that that was Cougar. So what they did was they made him go so far forward that he just became dust. I thought it was that uh, Jim knocked him over on his way to the uh, to the carousel. I mean, I just had my cliff notes up. <laughs> Do you have the actual story up? I'm, I'm looking through the book. Because, yeah, I believe it was that they fast-forwarded the time to the point where he was just dust, and that's what they... Yeah, yeah, they fast-forward to the till when Cougar turns to dust and blows away. Harold, you didn't get this far in the book. You're just... <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm on the spark notes. <laughs> yeah, the spark notes. <laughs> but, yes, Will Will wants to stop Jim, but Jim is he do, Jim does add a, a year to his life. But There's then a whole he, lot of yelling at Jim. Yeah, Jim, and then when he tries to stop Jim, him, Jim, Jim. Yeah, he gets pulled onto the carousel also. But then they, he does succeed in getting Jim off of the carousel, but he lies dead on the ground. Seemingly dead. Seemingly dead. Close to death. And then a small child that nobody's ever seen before comes and uh, uh, tries to to pull uh, Charles away to to come and help him. A little kid. He's just yeah. He's just like, come on, come help. You have to help. But he recognizes him. Well, he was just like your name. He's like, no time. It's like no. There's always time for a name. So, <laughs> but yes, he he recognizes the little boy as. The illustrated man. Must have been the eyes. Or all the tattoos. Well, he didn't see the tattoos until he ripped his his shirt off. (laughs) Then he saw them all. Wait, he ripped a little kid's shirt off? Well, that's because he knew that it was the illustrated man. He just had to prove it. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be able to prove it in a court of law. (laughs) It's because he's read a lot of books. He knows knows what's going to happen. Once you prove it, the villain will go back to normal and start telling you their plan. (laughs) But Mr. Holloway, he he saw through it, but he also knows how to kill the autumn people. So he gives him love. I'm going to love him and squeeze him and hold him and love him forever until he's dead, which is what happens. (laughs) 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 Yes, the lights in his eyes go out forever, for evil cannot survive in a vacuum of good. I would argue that probably most of the people in the area uh, aren't necessarily... A vacuum of good. <laughs> I think most people are a, a wash of gray. Yes. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Charles Holloway uh, defeats Mr. Dark by hugging him to death. Yep. As as he's as he's a boy, a tattooed boy. <laughs> I I like the spark notes uh saying of it as he holds the boy tight and kills him with affection. nice love laugh die (laughs) so will is still giving cpr to jim which i didn't know that that was even a thing back then but cool and it turns out that you don't even have to do cpr on people if you just dance and sing around them and laugh they'll come (laughs) back to life that's how it happens it's just like jack handy said laughter is the best medicine Unless you're really sick, <laughs> then you should probably go to a hospital. <laughs> but they revive Jim by pulling out a harmonica and singing a bunch of happy songs. And they go running back to town, not thinking too hard about how many years have uh, have passed and how, how much the kids have aged. It's like, eh, we'll deal with it later. 
I got a harmonica. <laughs> that was a harmonica? I thought it was a fucking keytar. Nope, that's a harmonica. <laughs> so you have a slide Yay. whistle. I have a harmonica. <laughs> and now Andy needs to get a keytar. And now somebody dead has just come back to life. I Yo. just brought somebody back to life. Yeah, with the power of harp harmonica. <laughs> I don't know how to play it. I just have one. Well, I do know that there is uh, an incantation that involves a harmonica, and part of that is the hook brings you back, which I think <laughs> that that likely has something to do with raising the dead. Oh, Ooh. that's right. Also, Bruce Willis is an avid harmonica player. He might have did it. Ooh. He might have did it. Dead life. Yeah. I mean, he's die hard, right? Right. <laughs> dead soft. Dead live soft. Die hard. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a slogan for, for <laughs> <Viagra>. ED <laughs> Live soft. Die hard. <laughs> so anyways, that is the end of something wicked this week. Comes. Well, there's some, a little bit of temptation. They, they're like, well, what if, what if I just go oh, yeah. back a few a few times? And the boys are like, well, you know, maybe just going forward a little bit, you know, one more time or something like that. But before that even happens, they they destroy it. They destroy the the carousel mm-hmm. so that they they realize that that's a slippery slope towards becoming the new proprietors of the dark carnival, right? Because you you just you use that dark force for to re to undo what's been done and sooner or later you're uh using that yourself for your own uh your own purposes and inviting others to come do it and then you're the new cougar in dark mm-hmm. and, and then you're walking around in jackboot uniforms claiming that the empire isn't doing anything wrong or you're walking around detroit wearing uh various logos and drinking fago being part of the dark carnival <laughs> Yeah, that was an ICP reference, you guys. Not, not, not for long. <laughs> they aren't going to be doing any more live shows because one of the guys has heart issues. Oh, no. Which, if, if realizing that one of the guys from ICP has heart issues because he's almost 50, <laughs> it doesn't make you feel a little bit old. <laughs> oh, shit. It's all those cans of chunky soup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's That's probably- what does it. He was probably eating so much chunky soup. That's why I stopped eating chunky soup. Because <laughs> you notice how much sodium is in it. No, because I can't stop eating the motherfuckers, so I can't keep them in the house. Otherwise, <laughs> I'll eat two or three cans. <laughs> That's me and the white fudge covered Oreos. I can, oh, if they're open, they're gone. So yeah, I just those are, stop buying them. I just stop buying like any kind of candy at my place. That's not the same as chunky soup, though, because the white fudge covered Oreos are healthy for you. Why are they healthy? <laughs> you need to get your sugars. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah you got to get your sugars. You get, you're brown, you're refined, you're powdered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're raw, you're cane. <laughs> you're aspartine if you really need it, if you really want it. All right, let's bring it on home. So I wholeheartedly... Love this book, enjoyed it, recommend it. Just don't try to read it in a in a week. It it it's not easily digestible in that way. You should sit back and sip it and enjoy it. 
<laughs> I I agree. I think it's uh it's good writing to uh to enjoy, not to to rush through. Um it does get a little bit repetitive. It does re- reiterate some uh some certain things. Dr- really drives a couple things home, but uh no, that's just the way some authors do. I will maybe try to take the suggestion of reading it without feeling like I have to get through it really fast because I didn't realize we were going to do a second recording session in the same week. <laughs> so <laughs> I rushed even faster through the book and then audio booked like a quarter of it as well. Still not finishing it before the very end. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I have real trouble with um it just bore. I guess it bores me. And oh man, this is going to be just wonderful for our number one fan to hear. But <laughs> poetry in general bores like it bores the shit out of me. I don't enjoy it. And so when when an author uses so many descriptive words to drive home single points over and over again and like like, you know that whole oh getting paid for every word that kind of says something maybe that has something to do with it but also being of the time when things weren't intended to be so concise and you know get to the point move on build the story in Mm -hmm. other ways uh yeah i mean you could tell this book was written in the 60s (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but this book does a lot of things well i will it does. say it, it does with with yeah. the language and the metaphor and everything there's a there's a segment of it where they it just really encapsulates the whole the feeling of when you're a boy and you've done something wrong and that uh period of tension where like you're with your dad and you know that it's the elephant in the room but yeah, you want to bring it up and you don't want to bring it up and there's just a, a part of that uh, just the way that, that it was described for example was very very nice and done very well there's a section in the library where he's talking about life and giving these lessons and he goes on for a paragraph about how how to describe his love for his wife. And I always wanted to use that at my wedding, but I never got married. So (laughs) you're pretty much dead now. I'm not going to probably get married, but I always wanted to use that stanza. And it was basically just how he like, I love so her. So he is right here, her. right now, on a podcast, going to read it. No, I don't have it. Use, I just have use part that of it. Up. Oh, you don't have it up? It's okay. over. It's over in the other thing. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's basically just <laughs> okay. his the different ways that he, he he loves his wife and how he describes it. Like I, her nose smells these things, so I I love her nose, and it's just really beautifully described. Oh, I remember what you're talking about now. And, yeah. And there are definitely points like that where it's good and it's enjoyable. And then there's mm. regular small happenings that the same type of language is being used for and it just doesn't it doesn't fit for me, you know. Again, I don't think the story's bad and I like like it for the most part, you know, but something about that writing style. I'd still recommend that if if people want to read a book that is uh is interesting and it's spooky it's tense it's yep. uh and if you are into yeah if you're into that poetic language then it's definitely a good one for that excellent so what do we got lined up for next week guys all right next week we are going to be going local we are going to be uh, discussing a Michigan Chillers book. 
Yes, the Bionic Bats of Bay City, which I'm excited for because Bay City is my hometown and where I currently reside. Yep, all three of us have extensive history with Bay City. Yes, Bay City. I lived there for a year with a hoarder, an old lady hoarder. <laughs> uh, and that is actually where I met Harold. It is because of that year that we met, yes? Yes, where Harold uh, developed a strong hatred for my work ethic. Uh, at Little Caesars, because at that point, I was like, I know what I'm worth, and I'm worth more than this, so I'm going to work exactly how much they pay me. And Harold was like, you're lazy. And I was like, no, I'm just working at 5.15 an hour. That's what I'm doing. Just underpaid. So, yeah, I'm not going to work hard. <laughs> it's a pizza place. But, yes, I, we developed our friendship over that that summer, and, yeah, one day I had a party, and he just never left. So, <laughs> yep. so I expect to hear a whole lot about the town of Bay City, Michigan mm-hmm. in our in our next episode. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how well, like if there's descriptions of areas and how well he did with it. Mm-hmm. I've read the book before, probably going to get into it uh, in the actual episode, but I think I've got it narrowed down to a specific part of town. Okay. And when we actually read it, we may we may or may not agree. And we, I don't know, maybe we should, uh, there's no movie based on this book. Maybe we should make a short movie. Oh, dude, we should make a short movie. <laughs> oh, I'll have to God. be the narrator because I'm not there. <laughs> I'll just provide the, the voiceover. That can be a thing. We need to, uh, we need to make sure that we set it up. I mean, we could use the kids for this too. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like maybe next Sunday or something yeah. because... I definitely won't be working. <laughs> it's going to be a man on fire situation. Oh, dude, that, that'll be great. <laughs> you don't even know, Andy. You don't so even sad know. That we I don't, don't have even that. know the reference. So sad that we don't have that still. <laughs> you don't know anything about Josh and Harold Productions. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll wind up doing something stupid with it. Yeah, that sounds good yeah. to me. But yeah, Bionic Bats of Bay City by Jonathan Rand uh, from the Michigan Chiller series. Yeah, and it's also going to be a book that I would expect middle schoolers or something to read. I don't... (laughs) We got to start thinking about our third book in the series, boys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what constitutes a children's literature? Yeah, we keep on going for these, like, highbrow... Well, it's books that we read, and the only issue right. is we yeah. we all read above our age group. That is right. the issue. Yes, yeah, that is part of the issue for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Harold was reading Stephen King. I was reading Ray Bradbury. Andy, who were you reading? Yeah. <laughs> Tolkien. Oh, wow. You were reading Tolkien, probably. <laughs> Not really. I wasn't reading Tolkien back in in those days. I was basically just reading whatever books the uh, English class was was given to me. So I read a lot of Star Wars novels. Okay, Star Wars. That's what you were into. So I was reading that I was makes reading sense because yeah. that's what I was into. Didn't, we, didn't you do a Star Wars novel in the last chapter? No one can prove that ever happened. Yeah, I think it was a word for word retelling <laughs> of the first movie. <laughs> yeah, no, no record except for the fact that it's an episode. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> On our feed. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, yep. Come on back next week and hear about the bionic bats of bay city and if you track it down you could you could have that read and be familiar with the story shouldn't be too uh too difficult it's basically a uh, goosebumps ripoff so not too bad anyways uh we'll just leave you with the uh 
with the message to support your local libraries, independent booksellers, little pop-up libraries people have in front of their houses. Those are good, too. I'll take pictures and post them this week when I walk Mm, by. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, until next time, give a shit. Read some lit. Have a good whatever time of the day it is for you. Thanks, everybody. This has been Reliterated, a production of the Chocolate Milk Friends. If you enjoy our show, please consider giving us support by subscribing, recommending us to your book-reading, podcast-listening, 90s nostalgia enthusiast friends, and rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Audible Podcasts. Those go a long way towards getting us in the ears of new listeners. And don't forget to engage with us on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, TikTok, Instagram, or YouTube. You'll find us at Reliterated on all those sites. Or send us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. It is pronounced Chopin, apparently. It's, it's pronounced <laughs> Chopin, yeah. Not Ch- Chopin. Oh, it's because he's, he's French, so it's not Chopin. <laughs> it's not Chopin. It's spelled it is, Chopin. It it's is Chopin. Chopin. Uh, Chopin. Frederick Chopin. Little known fact. That is where the term chopping it up comes from. <laughs> it's it's known by so few people that you know only Harold really knows that. I do, and I just wanted to share that with the musicians of the world who may not realize when they're chopping it up that <laughs> it's actually because of this. You know, chopping it up like you do in music. <laughs> yeah, chopping it up. <laughs>